Well, I feel like I have a few announcements. Uh, one, just thank you um, for everybody helping us move, getting things done, knowing how to replace a dryer cord because the prongs were wrong when we didn't even know uh, that was being done. Um, as, it, as it was said, Cornerstone Church is a great place to have cancer in. It is also a place to need servants of God's kingdom, uh, when, especially when you're in a move. So uh, thank you. And uh, we, we honestly could not have done yesterday without you guys, so, uh, so thank you very much. Um, as usual, we are uh, in Philippi. We're heading back into the book of Philippians uh, after Jordan uh, gave us the update on Africa and just really what um, is God has adopted us through Christ, and, and we are called to live that out practically uh, taking care of the world, especially orphans. So uh, as, as we uh, transition back into Philippians, uh, we are going to do part two of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, with really the emphasis uh, on 9 through 11 today as we focused on 5 through 8 last week. The title of the sermon is Therefore. Let me read 5 through 11 and then... Uh, We'll open in prayer. The Apostle Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just a quick note, something I realized as I was preparing this sermon uh, last week that, that really isn't just in the sermon, but... This passage is, is just rich and really explains uh, the gospel and our redemption and salvation through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's like the whole thing, the whole kit and caboodle. It's right there. He, do, he did everything. And you know who I didn't find in this passage? Us. We had nothing to do with our salvation. It was the work of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and our salvation is in Christ alone. Let's, let's open in prayer with that. Heavenly Father, God, uh, we're not just physically weary and tired, but some of us come this morning and we're spiritually weary. We're spiritually tired. We might even be spiritually malnourished, God. And, 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 and Paul is going to tell us that we, we can, your word says that we can only find salvation in Christ and nothing that we can do, Lord. And the strength that we need, God, also only comes from you. Lord, I, I pray that today's message and your word and your spirit, God, would, would help us, would, would truly let us drink the living waters from the deep well of Christ, Lord, this morning, God, to give us strength, to give us hope, to remind us of why we even meet on Sunday morning to worship him. 
and why we follow him as Lord. God, help us understand your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Point one, he humbled himself, therefore he was exalted. Verses five through nine. To reiterate, last time we, we focused on verses five through eight. And we concluded that Jesus, as Paul says here in Philippians, Jesus, who is God, in humility became human through the birth of the Virgin Mary. And he did not stop being God, nor did he lose his divine nature, which makes him God, or his godness. Rather, he veiled that eternal divine glory in his human flesh. And as a man, he lived in perfect obedience to God, which ultimately led to his death, even his death on a cross. And pertaining to humanity's salvation, or our salvation, we also concluded that it was necessary that the Savior must be both fully divine, fully God, and fully human. We needed someone divine who was able to be born of a woman without sin. Not born from Adam, but born from a woman without sin, hence the incarnation. And we needed someone divine also who would not sin. And then furthermore, we also needed someone who was human and able to die for sin. And, and so Paul tells the Philippians, listen, we have that. We have that in the person of Christ Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And he says, Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be grasped. Instead, he, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And now in verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the most, I mean, you've probably heard this, but one of the most common things I heard while I was in seminary, uh, remember hearing in seminary, is whenever you read the Bible and you come to a therefore, ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And in verse 9, Paul begins with therefore. So... <laughs> What is the therefore, therefore? And the hope of this sermon, my prayer throughout this week, and is to preach this today, is, is to see that the therefore in verse 9, and, and what follows verse 8, it's there to give us confidence that the exaltation of Christ is the assurance our assurance, God's assurance for us through his divinely inspired word that the work of Christ is sufficient and accepted by God for our salvation.
That's it. That's the point. If you can take that from the sermon, there you go. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that today, but a quick transition into point two. If you've ever read Acts 2, you've heard the sermon I'm preaching preached before. It was proclaimed by the Apostle Peter at Pentecost, and I, I found it very helpful as a reference to provide more details well, than Philippians 2 does regarding the exaltation of Christ. So bear with me as I read through Acts 2, uh, 22 through 35. This is what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he, being David, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. We saw it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. If you read on in Acts, it says, and they were cut to the heart by that message. And asked, then what shall we do? And Peter said in response, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. But I, I want to look at five important facts, five points from Peter's sermon regarding Jesus' exaltation. Number one, Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the justification of our faith, Romans 4. It is the assurance that Jesus' death satisfied the wrath of God, which loomed over all of us. 
Because as Paul said to the Corinthians, listen, it's, it's, it's the justification of our faith because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are still in our sins. And if we're still in our sins, meaning that our sins have not been forgiven, then we all still await a dreadful divine judgment. And there's nothing any of us could do about it or can do about it. Furthermore, Paul says to the Corinthians, look, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want, for tomorrow we die. In other words, what Paul's saying, if Jesus is still in the tomb, then everything we do is meaningless in the scope of eternity. But on the other hand, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything we do is meaningful on this side of eternity. Meaning everything we do in our lives today is meaningful before Christ returns. Changes everything. I couldn't, we can't find anything more relevant pertaining to our lives today than living every aspect of our lives from when we wake up to when we go to bed with the reality that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. Peter preached, death could not hold him. And so Paul also tells the Corinthians, because of this truth, because Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says, we're, I'm paraphrasing, I'm embellishing, but says that we have a song that we can now sing, we have a new song that we can sing, death where is your victory, death where is your sting doesn't sting anymore. Why? Because Jesus conquered death when he rose from the grave. I mean, on just like a personal note, I have some hard days, some hard mornings where what I have to face or what I'm going through is so difficult, I don't even feel like getting out of bed. And I'm certain a lot of you have those same thoughts or difficulties in your life, whether they're physical, mental, spiritual, whatever they may be. And the only thing that gives me strength to rise out of bed is to remember that Jesus Christ rose out of the tomb. Number two, Jesus ascended into heaven on our behalf. This is one of my favorite points. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven as our high priest. But unlike any high priest that had come before him, he, he accomplished something greater than the Levitical priesthood ever could. And the, the author of Hebrews actually explains why. He says, when Christ ascended, like he didn't just enter the Holy of Holies like the Levitical priest did in the earthly temple, Rather, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus entered into heaven itself, where he intercedes on our behalf before God. The, Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a temple made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. 
died for you. He's in the presence of God for you. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another, referring to the Day of Atonement, but otherwise he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time, just once, at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. So as the hymn says, what can wash away my sin? The author of Hebrews says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And since he's removed our sin, now he, he claims his inheritance from the Father. It's, it's this fulfillment of Psalm 2.8, which says, ask me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Loved ones, we, we are that inheritance. We are the bride chosen by the Father for his Son. And, and we sang it this morning. I don't remember what song, but it said the Son delights in us. He delights in his inheritance. He delights in those the Father has given him. Isaiah prophesies about this to, to Israel and Judah a long time ago. In, in Isaiah 62, starting at 3, you, Isaiah's prophecy, you will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand. You will no longer be called deserted. Your land will no longer be called desolate. Instead, you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. Why? For the Lord delights in you. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. That's the part I love so much about this, this point of Christ. Getting his inheritance, getting what the Father said, ask of me and I will give it to you. And knowing that, that God rejoices over us and that Christ delights in us as the bridegroom delights in his bride. So Jesus delights in those the Father has given him. And this this. this that verse, this passage, this reality, it always brings me back to, to just consider one of the greatest moments of a man's life. It's, it's when he stands waiting for his soon-to-be bride to come down the aisle. And at that moment, there is nothing more precious to him than her. She's arrayed in a beautiful white gown, and he's intoxicated by her love. And while I, I wish I could say that that affection, that affection and intoxication remained every moment throughout their marriage, we have to work at that. But, but what we learn here, and we can say with confidence from the word of God, Jesus' affection never leaves us. His delight never lessens for us. It just simply remains upon us. He always delights in those that the Father has given him. That's how God views you. Why? Because we're so great? No, because all of our sin has been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Father sees us as he sees his son, Jesus, who is sinless and spotless. So
so many times throughout the day we sin and, and can just feel like we're just letting God down, like God's just frustrated with us or the things and the trials that we have to go through. Like God is only putting us through it because he's mad at us. But what the word of God tells us through the blood of Jesus Christ is God isn't mad. He delights in us. And to think about it for a moment, we, we didn't come to him with white robes. Our robes were stained with sin and they were stained with guilt. But yet, in love, he washed our linen in his blood so that he could, he could present us to the Father and say, here they are, Father. Give me my inheritance. He humbled himself to the point of obedience even to death and death on a cross so that he could return to the Father and say, I have come for my inheritance. Number three, Jesus was raised to the highest position in heaven and given the name Lord. Acts 2.34, Peter continues preaching. David did not ascend to heaven, speaking about King David. And yet David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. First, it's, it's good to establish, we should establish, that Jesus has been God for all eternity. He is God the Son. He has always been God. He has always existed. We talked about that last week. Therefore, he has never lost or left his seat on heaven's throne as God. In fact, even after he became flesh as God, he still had sovereign rule from heaven's throne. And he still, would have, he still would have been worthy as the son of God to sit on heaven's throne even if he never would have become flesh. Yet he did become flesh. And even though we didn't see his divine glory, it wasn't because he lost that glory. It just wasn't visible because he veiled it. Now, I say all of that to make the point that Jesus was not exalted because who he was as God, as the divine son. He didn't need to be exalted. He was already on heaven's throne. Rather, what Paul is saying is that the incarnate son was exalted because of what he accomplished. Verse 7, back in Philippians 2, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So Jesus had become a man, and in his perfect obedience, he humbled himself to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God highly exalted him. Why did God highly exalt him? Because when he came as a man, he was completely obedient even to the point of a cross, a death on a cross. 
Therefore, God highly exalted him. In other words, it, it was due to the son's obedience as man that God raised him to the highest authority. And now, what was once veiled in flesh is visible for all to see. Now, this section of preparation this past week was the most difficult part because I knew I'd have to stand up here and preach or at least attempt to teach what the Bible's teaching about Jesus being both fully God and fully man and specifically in relation to his appointed session at God's right hand. And to be completely honest, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to comprehend. Not because it isn't true, but because it's so amazing what's being said. And yet if you find yourself confused or wondering how in the world the person of Jesus mediated us to God through his humanity on earth while he also reigned in heaven as God, if you find yourself confused and wondering how can this be, loved ones, that's just as baffled. However, all because it is a mystery does not mean that it's not a reality. So let me quote two brilliant men, and hopefully it will help. It helped clear out some of the fog for me. Sorry, that was offensive. I just said all of you have foggy minds. I didn't mean it like that. It just helped me. First, Steve Wellham says, All creation will worship and submit to the man Christ Jesus. By resurrection from crucifixion and enthronement in heaven, the Father has stripped away every veil of the incarnation so that all will see that the man Christ Jesus is God himself. Herman Baving, although maybe a bit more technical, is also very helpful. Baving says, the state of exaltation refers not to the person of Christ and his natures, but to the glory of his mediatorial work. By his resurrection and ascension, Christ enters a new state. As the mediator, he is now at the right hand of glory. Although he was truly God in his state of humiliation, the glory was hidden. Now, in the state of exaltation, the divine glory radiates outward for all to see, and all who see must confess Jesus is Lord. And as Lord... Paul says, Peter says, the word of God says, Psalm 110 says, which Peter's quoting, the most used psalm in the New Testament, says, as Lord, Jesus has been given all authority on earth and in heaven and under the earth over all powers, all authorities, whether on earth or in heaven or under the earth. Jesus is Lord. It would be a good time to see what that practically means for Jesus to be Lord in every area of our life. That's what the men and we are going to do on the men's meeting. But my, instead of just pointing to every area 
whether it be finances or marriage or singleness or whatever it may be. Instead of pointing you to a specific category, just points you to Christ and say, what area of your life is Jesus not Lord that you may be fully aware of and just submit to him as Lord and trust him? person of Christ in two natures is difficult. So as you were emailed a copy after the last sermon of the Nicene Creed, which confesses the Trinity, or at least focuses on the Trinity, confesses that, you can also be certain that you're going to be emailed a copy of the Chalcedonian definition, which confesses that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Of course, that was in 451 AD. Anyway. Number four. Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. Prior to Jesus' death, he told his disciples, especially in the Gospel of John, look, it's for your sake. It's beneficial that I go. Because if I don't go, then the one who I will send will not depart from heaven and come to you. So if Jesus ascends to heaven, then he will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Now, among many things that the Spirit does for us, he is the third person of the Trinity who circumcises our rebellious hearts, our hearts of stone, our hearts who reject God, and and gives us new life and hearts of flesh so that we want God, we choose God, we delight in God as we didn't prior to the rebirth. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, in order to even see the kingdom of God, not just enter, to even see the kingdom of God, you must be reborn. And that rebirth comes through the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and Son after Jesus' ascension. The implication, if Jesus did not ascend to heaven and send the Spirit, we would still be dead in our sins. We would not love God because our hearts would still be in complete disobedience toward him. It is the spirit that just begins this good work in us who will complete it until the day of his return that Paul referred to in Philippians 1.6. He gives us life. He transforms us. Finally, the, the spirit is our deposit of guarantee. And, and this is what the Spirit guarantees. That those who unite to Christ by faith in his death and resurrection will be united with Christ by sight when he returns. We will be with him. Our Redeemer, our Savior, the Spirit guarantees that in us. And Christ's return is our final observation, our our final point, number five. Jesus will return at his appointed time. Me. The author of Hebrews says in, in, in 9.27, Just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, 
judgment. So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, the author says, not to bear sin, because he already did it, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So those who are saved, he's bringing salvation. But what does it say for those who are not? He's bringing judgment because their sins were never forgiven. They never united in faith that the blood of Jesus Christ would erase, eradicate their sins completely before an all-holy and powerful God. As I I, I listened to the news while I was driving this past week, I was... There's a lot going on. If you've listened to the news, it's almost just better not to. But I, I was reminded of the brokenness and the sinfulness displayed throughout our world and especially in our nation that we live. And as I listened to all the different solutions proposed to fix what's broken, none of them appeared to provide anything significant that would even make a dent. And therefore, I was reminded that the same solution to humanity's problem, to our problem, has not changed in over 2,000 years. It still remains that the only answer to the chaos and complete pandemonium that has just swept over humanity and continues to sweep over humanity is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked out of his tomb. Yet, if we, if we take a look around at our modern world, we will see a generation of men and women and children who are wandering around aimlessly in complete and utter darkness and are blind to the grace of God that can only be found through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension. And they continue to reject any notion that one day their knees will bow and their tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And tragically, willingly, unwillingly, unknowingly, in their ignorance, they continue to choose to die. One of the specific stories I heard after a, another mass shooting was that eventually the, the person who was responsible took his own life, thinking he's escaping the police and the punishment and the judgment. And what he's waking up to realize is that he's not escaping any judgment, and the judgment that he's going to face is going to be stronger than any judgment this earth could create or bring down upon him because he will face the judgment of God's wrath for all eternity. Why? Because he was a sinner? No, because he rejected the grace of Jesus Christ who saves sinners. His eternal predicament, all of anyone's who rejects The blood of Jesus Christ is the payment for their sins. That eternal predicament is permanent. There are no second chances 
right? There's not a second attempt to this life if we get our first one wrong. This life is all we have to choose where we will spend eternity. And when Christ returns, and he will return, there will not be one single excuse that will be able to justify rejecting his offer of forgiveness. On the flip side of the coin, I don't believe this passage, I don't, I don't believe Peter's sermon, I don't believe Philippians 2, I don't believe the word of God is meant to leave sinners fearing their own condemnation. And don't get me wrong, if you reject the work of Christ and refuse to call him Lord, you have plenty of fear. And the word of God is just doing that, pointing you toward your eternal condemnation. But for a purpose, to not just fixate on your condemnation, but to fixate your eyes on the one who can free you and save you from that condemnation. We must embrace from what we must embrace from this passage is that the word of God is pleading to a broken society and in a fallen humanity that, that God knows our desperation. He knows our predicament. He knows what we face. And he knows our hopelessness. And therefore, he provided his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. Therefore, like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, who's, who saw, we, Peter says, we bared witness. Paul bared witness on the road to Damascus. They saw the risen Christ. Those who saw the risen Christ must proclaim. And the blessed church like us who don't see him, yet believe, still must proclaim to this broken society, this fallen humanity, and when we wake up in the morning and don't feel like getting out of bed, we must proclaim it to ourselves as well. That Jesus, who is God, in humility became man. By his obedience... He became sinless and able to save. By his death, he defeated the penalty of sin. By his sufficient work as mediator, he was exalted. By raising from the grave, he defeated the power of death. By ascending into heaven, he declares us clean and asks for his inheritance. By ascending into heaven, he's declared greater than all other powers and authorities and given the name above every name. He is Lord. By ascending into heaven, he sent the spirit who gives life and freedom from the power to sin or the power of sin and gives us assurance that that Christ's work is sufficient. And when he ascended, and the disciples watched him ascend, the angel said, he will return. He promised he will return. And at that moment, the entire earth will be filled with his glory because all the earth will bow in his presence and all creation will declare, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On that day, loved ones, we who believe are still given, or who are still given opportunity to believe, we will see our Savior 
face to face. And in the twinkling of an eye, we will be made like him. For, for now, we, we only can see him dimly. But soon, we shall see him as he truly is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, salvation is a work accomplished, done by you, by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God. Lord, we pray that you would circumcise any hearts that are still hardened toward you, Lord, to give them life so that they would choose to, to follow Christ as Lord and turn from sin and, and, and to love you, God, and, and to delight in the one who delights in them, God. Lord, if there be any, remove that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And God, throughout this week, for those you have already given new life to, would you help us not, not just look at every single circumstance or everything in our lives, but, but God, by your work, through your word and your spirit, Lord, would you, just, would, would you point us to the area in our life where we could bring glory to Jesus Christ by submitting to him in what area we may not be submitting to him now. God, we ask this in Jesus' name and to his glory, in your glory, amen.